Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the True Man podcast, the podcast designed to create a generation of self-defined men. Today, I'm joined by Warwick. Warwick, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, I believe you're a burnout uh, coach specialist and uh, have an active interest in Andy's Man Club as well, which are perfect uh, topics that we're obviously going to touch on uh, today. So how are you today? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Luce. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well. Good, good. And I'm going to start things off tough, the the big question. Um, so in your own words, Warwick, what makes you a man? That's interesting. And, and that's changed at different points in my life, I think. Um, especially having a daughter <laughs> was, was a huge change in my life about what being a man means. Um, so I think through time for me, it's about embracing, um, embracing vulnerability is a huge part of, of me being a man. Um, being consistent in people's lives who care about you and you care for a huge part. Uh, yeah. Just being that, that person that if you need a shoulder, it's here, you know? But yeah, I think those roles have changed quite a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting you say that. It'd be interesting to get what you, uh, your thoughts on what, what they used to be, I guess, what was before. Yeah. Um, so maybe when, when younger and what you see, maybe it's about more pressure of being the breadwinner, of keeping the house, the roof above your head, so to speak. And it's so easy to then see, um, like, family support in, in only one dimension, like very financially based and problem solving, you know, sorting things out if things break. We're actually in time learning that taking care of your children and, and your family are just as, if not maybe even more important. Uh, yeah, great, um, great sort of uh, analogies. I think, I think it's right. I think it's a, it's a question that should be asked. I think it should be asked regularly because you're right. It changes uh, depending on what your core responsibilities are, what your views are, where you are personally, where you are financially. There are a lot of sort of factors that sort of determine determine what it is. But I think taking from that, it's quite clear that there's core principles in there that are extremely important and have been iterated by a number of our guests. So thank you so much for for sharing that. It's usually a, a tough question uh, to start with. So Warwick, tell us a little bit about about yourself, what you're what you're currently doing, and yeah, yeah, uh, a very quick whistle stop tour of of my past will help highlight why I do what I do. I think. Yeah. Um, so for the first decade of of my career, I actually worked for the prison service. I helped deliver um, cognitive behavioural therapy programs. Uh, so offending behaviour programmes in prison um, and sort of managed teams throughout my time there. And that was a real eye opener to real deep conversations with I only ever worked with other males in male prisons um, at that time. So deep conversations about what was going on <laughs> for people yeah. to to go on and, you know, do the things that they ended up doing to end up in prison. Um, but also where we share similarities in what we're trying to actually achieve, but it's how we go about doing them. Um, 
uh, following that, I had an opportunity being an exec myself. And in between the end of that 10-year and exec is where my own burnout came in. So uh, a real pivotal point uh, in, in my career and life. Um, and then after that, a complete change of pace into sort of executive coaching. But in time, uh, a good friend of mine who's another coach said that your niche will find you. So a bit of advice that's given out there to people that have, you know, quite potentially quite broad roles. And um, people people coming to me wanting to talk about stress, wanting to talk about uh, or feeling really angry all the time, you know, due, yeah. to, due to that stress. Or their team are getting stressed out and they don't know what to do. They're fed up of recruiting. And it sort of naturally came into this, this, this bubble really that okay that's what people want to talk about I've got a big experience of it in my own life <laughs> of hitting quite a quite a, a dark point really with with burnouts um, to help support others and their teams in the future so that's what primar primarily I focus on amazing well I would look I, I didn't actually know that about you in regards to your uh, your prison work so it's something that's of, of real interest uh, to me as well, especially young young men and and sort of mm. I guess guidance and um, and sort of potentially reducing the chances of that happening and, and those sort of things. So, what what were the main things that you were you were sort of seeing? What was the reasoning into why people were finding themselves in that quite desperate situation? Essentially, it's sort of the end of the road, I guess, isn't it? Prison. Yeah. Um, so I think as you'd expect, a lot uh, everyone has their own story and they can be quite different but there are I guess there are similarities that you can pull out I think how someone's you know it's a bit of a dice roll really but your upbringing has a huge part of what the next part of your life looks like I think you know the role models you have um, how you see the people in your life deal with their problems uh, is a huge part uh, but then also closer to times particularly when you've got people who maybe have lived uh, led offence-free lives for a, a long time and then committed an offence. There might be some significant triggering events that occur, whether they're like, I don't know, relationship breakdowns came up quite a bit um, or redundancies or, you know, financial problems. So they can be quite, uh, they, they were quite common too. But I guess then it's how you then go to problem solving in your mind of how to help deal with this and, different people take different approaches. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because you, as you were listing those things, I've just read um, quite an interesting study on um, male suicide and literally every single situation that you said there is also a reason or a potential reason as to why hmm. uh, that was the cause of, cause of death for them. And... It, it, you're right. It's about how you can watch your dealing process, and obviously, going to prison isn't isn't a great solution. But it's obviously slightly better than potentially ending your own life. But there's obviously a lot more better solutions to to your to your problem as well. So it's really interesting that those are still mm -hmm. the core core problems, and and is something that for me personally is rather than looking at the problem it's looking at the cause and how we can sort of help people yeah absolutely and i think 
I, I think that's something that you're sort of looking at as well because burnout and that side of things can potentially lead to some of these problems as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I did actually read that that you put up. Um, obviously, piqued my interest because of my work with Andy's Man Club. And um, yeah, I guess we can go on to that at, at, at some point. Um, but yeah, it was. it's about... I guess the thing for me about burnout as well, because there's two elements of it, there's the internal side, which is, I guess we all deal with different levels of stress and it's about how we deal with those. But then on the flip side, it's about the culture of the workplaces. If they're creating excessive amounts of stress, you, your own ability can only go so far. Um, so it, it's got to be taken both into account how we, we deal with stress in, in a hopefully more um positive way but also what can our workplaces do to prevent those overloads of stress in the first place yeah no i i'm uh, to give you a little bit of a, a background on myself um i used to work in finance and mm. that's um hell is the short version uh your uh 12 hour days is a minimum you sort of little for going home early if you're uh, doing a six till six which is uh hilarious looking back at, it, at the the irony of that but um yeah working environment is a is a really really key key element have you have you looked at or potentially is it something that you're going to look at in the future of other environments so like um home life and, and not just work life per se that sort of deal with these stress yeah, um, I mean, the, the majority of research at the moment is around the workplace. Um, um, but they are highlighting that it's not as simple as that. Absolutely. And I know, like, even from my personal experience, that the workplace was a factor in my burnout, but wasn't the only thing. There were events external in personal life that were coming together to, to create the situation that they did. Um, yeah, because well, it's been around since the 70s, burnout. A lot of people don't um, or aren't aware. It's actually been a term and been used uh, for, well, best part of 50 years now. But initially it was seen as a, a problem for like caregiving services. So, right. you know, nurse, nurses or, you know, equivalent like that. Then it was picked up that it exists in other areas um, and other circles of work, which expanded out. And now they're finally looking at, well, what about burnout? Because I've heard of things like uh, parental burnout, which is coming out, where I absolutely can understand <laughs> where that comes from. I uh, haven't gone through it myself and going going to go through it again soon. Um, yeah, so because I don't know about you, um, Lewis, but I've always found the phrase work-life balance to be a little bit weird for me, um, that it's it's all part of the same puzzle. We take our work home if, if it's not yeah. going well, and we take home to work if it's not going well. So it's it's got to be something that we work at from both angles. Yeah, definitely. It's not. I've never really thought of it like that. I've never really gone um, that depth into the into that term. But yeah, when, when you say it like that, it's kind of true. Um, my the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing is a combination of uh, a burnout. Uh, personal loss financially and also a breakdown of a relationship at the at the mm -hmm. same time so i was sort of hit with a 
with a triple whammy type type scenario. And yeah, the the pressure from home fed into work, which then fed back to the pressures at home, which then fed into financial pressures, which yeah, it was just a, a trifecta of uh, of mess essentially yeah. is probably the best way of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's um it is sort of missed. We work life balance is is talked about and it's more about how work how work can be the the current solution to work life balance seems to be either work from home, flexible working, reduced hours. It's not really looking at how it fits in with the rest of your life or how the rest of your mm-hmm. life fits in with, with work, which is yeah, an interesting sort of uh, view on it most definitely mm. yeah so yeah. Uh, like for for example many of I, I call my clients like coaches or members I don't really like the term client because it's not really that kind of world um, but a lot of the coaches who who I support who um, are you know sole traders or entrepreneurs doing that their thing because that boundary between uh, work and, and life becomes very blurred <laughs> as, as I'm sure you, you know through doing things like the podcast and the work that you do um, a lot of the conversations that we end up having are about what you do for self-care in your own time as well as preventing burnout from workload inside of work as well yeah absolutely awesome so yeah let's let's have a little bit of a, of a story time let's go into a bit more depth into regards mm. to uh, your life as an exec and, and 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 your sort of journey with with burnout, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, so mine mine came about at the uh, actual point which led to me leaving ten years in a certain job, um, and there were the should we say the work based elements. So it wasn't to do with workload, and this is what shocks a lot of people because you automatically assume that. Uh, to help people prevent burnout, you look into how much work you're giving them. Not at all. Absolutely. Not that it can be for many or, or a part, but it's, it's one of the, the six areas. So there's a, a tool I use, which is um, based on research. It's up on the World Health Organization. It's not, it's not me who's just picking these out of thin air. I like to use things that are out there and have the evidence and have the backing. But it's um, only one of the six areas is workload. And, and similar to my scenario, workload had nothing to do with it it had to do with my feelings of fairness in that workplace so that was fairness around um, how I was treated by my at the time manager Um, and uh, which then led into the external scenario was a miscarriage so a big a big deal between me and my wife Uh, it was our first one first attempt first pregnancy, first miscarriage, and had a huge, huge impact on both of us. Um, and it's only when you start talking to more people later that you realise that actually quite a few people have gone through this and and it's far more um, common than you think when it's happening to you. Like a lot of our problems, we feel like, why is this happening to me? And you don't hear about this much, so, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, and that was the case at the very start. And unfortunately, I just felt the way that I was treated while dealing with that by work, I saw it as like highly unfair. It was seen as like a target of my performance, bearing in mind I've done 10 years of good outcomes and promotions and moving to different workplaces to then finally hit, hit a time where like 
I need you, you right now, the other way around, and it, and it wasn't given. It was just seen as a problem. So um, that then hit a point alongside a few decisions that happened that I was made to do rather than having control over at the time. That's another element of burnout about control. I was, yeah. I was told by that manager, go do this. This is what you need to do. Go do that rather than me coming up with those things. Um, and then it hit a point where I had to take time off, which unfortunately, that's like a lot of people. We don't realise that we're getting towards that until we hit a point where it's like done. I mean, I'm emotionally exhausted. And uh, I, I specifically remember lying um, on my carpet in the lounge, just lying on my back, looking up at the ceiling. Like, I just can't take anything in, any more in. And that's the point where I hit, the cup was, was overfilled, <laughs> Spill it, spilling out, and I had to take time off. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I felt like you were about to say rock, rock bottom then, but then you changed it to overfilling, which was, uh, is interesting. Yeah, yeah, because maybe it's about taking stuff rather than falling. Yeah. Because it's just trying, maybe a shift in mindset. Maybe at the time I did think rock bottom, but maybe that's just probably how I'm wording it now. Um, where if we see it as, as building and overfilling, I'm not like, because people get this, oh, I've fallen down to square one mentality where that's not what's happened. You're in the same place. It's just too much has come in, not that you've dropped. Yeah. I, I, think, like, I, like I think that's an important one. Yeah, I like that because uh, that report that linked to the um, linked to the article that, that I wrote, that's one of the things as well is, is it talks about is, is it, um, it's a decision made based on an overflowing of life events. It's a mm -hmm. rational decision rather than a fall or a change in circumstance. It's, it's a pressure of too much. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. An overflowing of a, of a cup is, is a nicer, is a nicer example because not every problem is about, becoming worse per se it's more about like additional stresses mm -hmm. and additional things sort of being mounted on and yeah. added to which mm. i think is an oversight that a lot of people miss they they sort of say oh why are you feeling what's happened like well this has happened this has happened okay but what's happened to make you sort of go there rather than like yeah an additional amount of things so yeah an interesting an interesting way of describing it. Yeah, there might have been a straw, you know, the, the phrase yeah. straw broke the camel's back, there might have been, but, but it's, it's recognised that burnout is consistent, it's consistent stress that's not managed is, is burnout. So it's all about frequency and how if we keep on to that stress when new things come in, that's what it's about. Because stress is normal. Yeah. Stress is normal. Um, it's just that we'd like to think that we deal with the stress or the stressor um, and move on to the next one and feel capable just to move through them in that way. But if we don't empty that stress in our system before the next one, it just builds up to a point where you can't take anymore. Yeah. So I've got a question for you just out of, just out of more interest, I think, than, mm -hmm. than any. Stress, burnout and, and mental health, how do you see them co coinciding or what's the difference and like how do you differentiate from them, in your opinion? Yeah. So... I think the easy one to link there is burnout and stress because um, the 
so the way the way that I try uh, and explain this to people um, when when we have we do work together that stress it you can be stressed about any scenario in a positive or a negative way so there's the stressor which is whatever and it can be anything that happens external and then the stress is just the internal response to that so technically if something is happening and you're getting really excited about it technically there's the stresses <laughs> in the body but we don't really word them that way um we, we word it as i don't know if it's nervousness or or anxiety or or just really looking forward to something um so they're quite easy to link and the work that I do with people who are feeling angry due to stresses at work, it's it's identifying that all these scenarios happen and all of them do put stress into the system. Though you might not see it that way. And then even then, it might not even be anger. If you understand more about like the emotions that you can have and wording them, they can be completely different things to anger. So it's dead easy to, I think, to link burnout and stress. I think the definition of burnout has the word stress in it. So um, that, that's an easy one. The harder one is mental health. Absolutely. Because I know there's um, multiple articles around, is it burnout or is it depression, for example? Or is it burnout or is it anxiety? Um, and I think they can easily be overlapped where if someone's dealing with burnout, they might be dealing with depression, and maybe dealing with anxiety as part of that, which makes it really hard to separate and pull apart. Um, but you have to be really careful, don't you? Where it's similar, it's like the difference between having depression and feeling depressed. Yeah. Where you might feel depressed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are managing depression. Um, and, and that's an easy trap to fall into, I think. So I would argue that one is, they, they should be taken seriously in their own right. Absolutely. Uh, Those some of the symptoms link. <laughs> yes. I think why I've asked that is because mm. when I first started this um, uh, over a year ago now, um, first podcast speaking to someone, it was purely mental health. I was under the impression that I had mental health issues. I was depressed and, mm -hmm. and these sort of things. But literally speaking to you for 22 minutes, I've decided that I was burnt out. And that I wasn't uh, depressed, um, which it, it might be wrong diagnosis, but I think it's also really important because mental health is a spectrum, which I'm sure we'll go on to in a second and in, in, in a bit with uh, the other mm -hmm. stuff that you do as well. It's so vast and so large, yet there's so many problems that are either either ignored, one, which is probably the worst, or two, linked in as like low-level mental health. Whereas, mm -hmm. ironically, they're the extreme version of the thing that's ignored. So, like, extreme burnout, based on everything yeah. that you're saying, could have the same effects on someone as mild mental health, um, for example. So, mm. th this, this almost nether zone, grey zone, that's only just really starting to be spoken about, is where, for me personally, from everything that all the people that I've been speaking to, and the more that I look into this, this seems to be the area that's actually causing the most problems. And mental health mm -hmm. is just a term that's been brushed, sort of folded over the page to say, oh, yeah, that's mental health as well. And I just, 
I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Or, or that people are self-diagnosing, um, which is, um, well, I, I remember being told, so back in the days when we used to, or I used to deliver um, cognitive behavioural therapy, we used to get counselling as part of that because you're obviously taking in a lot of very sensitive stuff and scenarios. And, and I remember the, my counsellor at that point saying um, self-diagnosis is one of the most dangerous things you can do because you then say, well, it's this, and then you'll start, you know, what we're brilliant at is then pulling every bit of evidence that agrees with that statement and then ignoring or blurring the bits that aren't. Um, and then you can end up almost feeling like you've got whatever that is. Yeah. And it might be the case. It might be the case, but it might not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's an absolute risk and leave it to the professionals to, to be able to, um, to be able to, you know, diagnose, which I know is very difficult in itself, in itself, especially in the world of, let's say, ADHD, which is a big thing that's coming out in at the moment. Very, very difficult to to diagnose, and what tools are there to do that? And you know, it's uh, people are coming out with saying they've they've got the symptoms, they might and and need to work out or find out if that is the case or if it's something else. Um, yeah. You, you, you're right, though. It's a grey area. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it seems that. It seems it needs more people talking about it, which is good. I'm hmm. glad. Um, yeah, funny that. Got a headache. Google it. Right, I'm dead in a week. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Way. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, first, the first thing I tell people is, is if they are at the point where I was, like lying on your lounge floor, looking at the ceiling, thinking I cannot take anything else, then my bit of advice is go to your doctor. Like, yeah. that is not the time to talk to, like, even myself at that point. Absolutely yeah. not. I, I'm here to help. So pick out some of the symptoms that's on the way towards that yeah. and or spotting that in yourself or in your teams. Uh, and then what you can do to help reverse, to prevent getting to the point where you go off, where you take months off, where you leave your job or quit or, you know, all these things that, that can happen. But if yeah. it's at the actual point of full-blown exhaustion, go see your doctor. Okay, um, that's uh, sensible action, right? So, what? Let's go back to to that point, and um, <clears throat> you're on the you're on the floor, and you're thinking, literally, no one speak to me because if I get one more ounce mm -hmm. of information thrown at me, I'm done. How are you feeling? What did you feel the potential outs were? What what was going through your head at that at that time? Yeah, so uh, I think numbness is probably the the best word I can explain, which I guess is where people then um, will find a similarity between depression and and this because common symptom from what I've read anyway. I'm not a doctor, but a common symptom of depression is like a general numbness. Um, and it's not that I feel necessarily feel sad. It's that I actually don't feel much at all. Um, uh, and I could say that that was definitely there where and anything like it was shut off altogether. So I was not the best person to talk to. I couldn't give you any advice at that point. If my wife was talking to me, it was just really hard to listen. You know, you feel like you want this alone time, but the alone time doesn't make it better it's uh, an interesting one 
Um, I remember thinking it was a kind of I don't know what to do next moment because you don't have that clarity that you normally would have. So you hit the point where I'm not sure what I want to do, what's wrong, what's happened to me. Because, um, you know, not being clued up about what to look out for before, didn't really know what was going on. Is it depression? You know, am I, am I hitting a point of depression? And in my mind, like, well, maybe because I'm dealing with a bereavement. So could it be? Um, in hindsight, I don't think it was. Um, and, and I did seek professional, you know, saw my GP uh, and at the time uh, a wellbeing service, which I would absolutely recommend people if they're at those sorts of points to seek the support that is available. So there was a wellbeing service and, and with that sort of work, um, funny enough, the time spent while resting and what you do with that rest uh, had a huge difference on how getting yourself back to where you want to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's very hard to explain, to be honest, a really good question because you're not really in the state of mind where you're properly thinking. It is more of a fog. Yeah, no, I, I'm complete, complete agreement. Agreement. That was uh, essentially how I was feeling. It was just like I've described it um, as graphically as you want this to be described as as a man in his pants um, sitting on the sofa. That was essentially me. I didn't. There was nothing. It was just mm-hmm. was just a shell. Just a shell. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested because it was. A, there was also the pressure from from your wife um, at the time, and obviously uh, she was going through stuff as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How how did how if if anything were you were you able to sort of support on 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 that side and vice mm. versa? I guess she, uh, my wife, was in a, an incredible source of support through that time. Actually, she. Um... I guess a lot of people would just assume that you're, you know, you might just be being lazy or you don't, you're just refusing to do stuff where she wasn't like that at all. Um, it was, she was absolutely going through her side of, of the miscarriage as well, obviously. Um, so we still made sure that when I could talk about it, that we were talking about what are we going to do to help ourselves through through this scenario and what did we want and what did we need to to do so there's certain things that we did do um such as like a our own little personal service just us two uh, which we wanted to do in a very specific spot we made sure that we did that um yeah but she she was actually really really supportive through it and, and was going through like, like a lot of us, really, if one of us is going through stuff, chances are the other person's got a lot going on. It's very rare that one person's all all peachy to help the other person, you know. Um, so fortunately, it didn't turn out into any arguments, but I could pick up that I was getting irritated, you know. Um, I wasn't at the point of lashing out or anything like that, probably because I didn't have the energy to, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but I knew I, could, I knew I could feel myself just getting irritated by anything, at the very sort of peak, shall we say, of, of the burnout. Yeah, got got easier though doing the right things. Yeah, awesome. So you you sort you sort of stuck, um, seeked help and uh, and had those conversations. Mm-hmm. Was that a smooth 
diagnosis or was the sort of the potential of a, a misdiagnosis? How, how did that sort of come to the conclusion? Yeah, well, one, one of the first conversations with the doctor was, do you want to be put on a certain type of medication? Was the absolute very first thing. And I said, um, I, I said, no, um, can you, because I guess through my background of delivering behavioural programmes, I wanted to make sure that I could do what I could internally to turn this around for me before relying on um, medication. I'm not against yeah. medication. It's just how I felt. If it got to a point where I felt like absolutely needed it, then then maybe. Um, yeah. But I wanted to give it a chance first. Uh, but they were very quick to offer that as the route and to try and almost uh, influence me that it was a smart decision to make. So they were on about how it's there to support you to make the decisions to change, where I was pretty adamant at the time that I did, just didn't want to. Um, I'd obviously given the little hook where I'll let you know and I'll think about it, but in my mind it was like it's not going to happen unless I've, I've exhausted other options. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that that's, that's the go-to response, right? It's. Uh, yeah. And it's, I'm... Uh, I, in another in another scenario, I might have done, but I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, uh, but that's that's knowledge, right? As well, I think mm -hmm. about that sort of um, internal knowledge. Mm -hmm. I have just taken. I've got uh, stories and and people that I know that have uh, been to doctors and GPs, and some have been fortunate as well to be sort of given. I guess there's always a bit of a postcode lottery to these things as well, but given alternate care, but also mm -hmm. given um, drugs as well. And it's like, mm -hmm. it, sh it should be like you say, almost that last, last resort. Uh, mm. It shouldn't be the, the first roll of the dice. Yeah. I was very surprised. That was pretty much the first point of conversation after asking if I've, they did ask if I've, been in touch with wellbeing services and things. And I said, yes, I don't think I'd started any of the calls by that point. Yeah. And then they went in and offered that. So it, I hadn't even had a single call <laughs> to, to try something else out. Yeah. Uh, well, it'd be a long podcast to talk about the NHS. So maybe say that for another <laughs> one. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Deal. Deal. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is doing its best, right? So yeah, it's, it's interesting that that's the the go-to solution. But you you chose to sort of stick to your guns and, and decide to to do mm -hmm. other activities. What did they look like? What was the well-being mm. service approach? How did, how did that sort of unfold from there? Yeah, well, I was I was so impressed with the well-being service that I ended up using it later in life as a preemptive measure for another scenario that I went through. So, um, I would I would encourage i know that could be a bit of a lottery depending on who you get like yeah sure but my both experiences i've had have been fantastic um to the point where um go 18 months ago i've had um a very close family bereavement my uh, my dad died and as one of the first things that i wanted to do because i could notice in myself some big changes i reached straight out to this well-being team um I think from being a coach and supporting people, the first thing you know and realise is that you don't do this alone. Like find yeah. professionals, find support, and it will help. Um, so that was one of the main things I did. I think a call, the calls were like weekly or bi-weekly, so there was still a lot of time between. 
And one of the one of the best things in hindsight that happened is uh, a neighbour I was very close with. Um, I'd, I've got a dog. They had a dog, and they basically I was very close friends with her husband. But he's out at work, and she at the time wasn't in work, um, and said, "I'm walking the." dogs do you want to oh, basically it's not do you want to you're coming walking as well <laughs> yeah, and uh nice. and just getting you out of the house getting you walking talking about whatever you want to talk about we didn't talk about that kind of stuff you know it's not like it was a therapist or anything just talking about stuff um and exercise which now knowing what i know exercise is such a massive part of preventing burnout and recovering from burnout it is huge yeah so like and those things worked a treat as well as conversations properly talking with my wife about how I was just generally feeling is a massive was a massive part uh, and then I guess the ultimate decisions I made were from the well-being service because it's kind of like a counseling service where you come up with your actions that you want to take and it was to leave the job that that I was currently in and that that was the end of that 10 year career in that world nice some interesting some interesting points there i think one is exercise right and i'm mm. love to get your your opinion on this there's levels to exercise right you can run a marathon mm -hmm. or you can go walk the dog depending on where you're at do you think both of those have the same sort of positivity on on what you're trying to achieve oh it's a good question um, I think both will have similar uh, outcomes to stress. I guess the thing that maybe running or pushing yourself, let's say hitting PBs in gyms and things, that I guess comes with this almost weird like resilience, mental training aspect, um, you know, and, and t teaching yourself to see through harder things that you initially want to give up, but there's a reason why you're doing it. As yeah. for as for the impact on de-stressing. I would argue that having a walk and talk with someone is probably more impactful than having a run on your own. Um, it's about doing things. So even if even if a scenario's finished, right, you know, we've had a stressful day and something big's happened, and even if we've dealt with it, the internal element of our stress doesn't just disappear because of that. We have to actively do things to drop and decrease the glass or the pot to then give it space to fill it in with new stuff the next day. So you, if you're doing the walk and talk, you're hitting two of those huge things, which is exercise and connection. Connection's yeah. another ma a massive one. So there's only really a handful of things. The obvious one is sleep um, when it comes to de-stressing. There's exercise, there's connection, there's eating, but eating purposefully. So not like wolfing a sandwich while you're at your desk like properly sitting down and having a meal and enjoying your food yeah. and then what and then your hobbies really and, and your particular passions that you enjoy doing that are different for each of us um so i think by doing the walk and talk you're hitting two of those things rather than maybe just the one if you're going for a run yeah nice um i i this is the thing i think i like the way that sort of social media is positioned right now is geared towards extremes. So like, mm -hmm. it's all about like either pushing yourself to a limit or exercising 
to an extreme or eating mm-hmm. to an extreme. Like you didn't say that during eating that it needed to be healthy or particularly sort of like nutritionist. It was more. Yeah, the I'm sure. It, I'm sure it helps, but course, we're talking. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's like building these levels up. And I think mm-hmm. one of my key sort of focuses is what you see on social media is like the 1% and the majority of us, hence the 99%, just numbers, is live live a normal life, right? Like mm. it's not, it's, a, it's an inflated egotistical realm that we consume and essentially measure ourselves against. Whereas like mm-hmm. going for a walk with a neighbor is not Instagrammable. Uh, going for a walk with your dog is not necessarily Instagrammable and eating a spaghetti bolognese on a Thursday evening is definitely not Instagrammable. Yet mm-hmm. all three of those are beneficial to your life mm-hmm. that will allow the stepping stones that if if your goal is to run a marathon or go into crazy eating regimes or whatever it might be, that's the stepping stone to start. Whereas it's like, I've got to do this, fail. And then that creates, I imagine its own stresses and its own, its own problems yeah. as well. And, and extreme exercise in itself is a stressor. The whole point is that you're stressing your system. So if you're not in a good place and then go for a huge run, you're not depleting. You might be depleting, you know, sugar stores and whatever storage, in you, but it fills your body with cortisol. The same with weightlifting. It's, it's kind of the point. <laughs> you, you overstress your body to then repair itself stronger. That's the whole point of, of doing it. Um, uh, it's an interesting point, though, that you make. And I think, again, it changes with what happens in your life. Um, like, through my teenage years and early 20s, I was definitely a six-day-a-week-at-the-gym kind of guy. Um, I loved lifting heavy things and putting them down and picking them back up again. Like, it was kind of my thing. Um, but then uh, as I got older, slightly changed. And then it got to the point where I had my daughter. And uh, you really question, and this is just a question I generally ask people, to what end? Like, why am I honestly do? Why am I doing this? And and what do I actually want? And it is it enough? So, for example, nowadays, I'm far more focused on just moving generally than going to the gym. I'm more interested in getting steps in and doing my walking. Um, I'm far more interested in, like, lighter weights, but just making sure I'm doing the moving. So I, I want to be able to do whatever my daughter and future kids want to do. So if they want to go for a little stroll, I'll go. If they want to go for a little run, I'll go for a little run. My daughter always wants me to pick her up for whatever reason, and she's only getting heavier every day. So, you know, I want to make sure I'm able to do that, which in reality, most people can do. Um, the majority of people can. So, yeah, I just ask myself, to why, why, why am I doing it? And is it is it just to tickle my ego? And sad to say, especially in my early 20s, absolutely. And it yeah. just doesn't make sense like it used to so now it's maybe two two days a week at the gym and just a lot of moving and walking and yeah yeah definitely i've i've got friends who've just had kids so i'm early 30s and i've not uh, uh, not got any kids and uh, 
I'm, I'm single, so I, I've not, I'm, this is not on the cards by any stretch of the imagination, but I want them one day. And when <laughs> I sort of turned 30, that was literally the same mindset was like, right, what do I need to do to be allowed to play with my future kids without being out of breath or <laughs> not being able to do it? and also grandkids so like I made that conscious decision at 30 that that's what I was going to do prior to that I was in a really fortunate position that I did a lot of sports so everything that I did had a goal so it was getting stronger to move a boat faster rather than just a generic sort of building the number up which yeah is I think is more is a healthy relationship with fitness right is a is a goal yeah or like if it's a team sport I want to be the absolute best I can be for my team yeah I know it can happen I've done a few like solo sports in my life like a bit of boxing growing up and even golf when I was a bit younger and they're quite just you just you and you right that's why they're so stressful because there's no one else to blame when it goes wrong (laughs) um but it, it does feel nice when being part of team sports and working on the skills to try and get your team to win rather than for you to win. It's just a totally different feeling, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it, it really is. And then the, the one one other point that you sort of uh, alluded to was uh, speaking back to the um, service proactively. And proactive mm-hmm. um, yeah. is something that I... Re- reactive is too late, in my opinion. Proactive is something that I'm really trying to work on with men from mental health mm-hmm. or um, having a better balance with life, whatever, however it becomes termed, I guess, in the future. But yeah, that's uh, the, that's really interesting. And I had a previous guest as well. He uh, he had a daughter that he didn't actually know he had. He um, got his girlfriend at the time pregnant. They split mm-hmm. up and a months later, she turned up and said, this is your daughter. And he actually went through um, postnatal depression really hard. Spoke about Mm. it in the podcast. And then his partner that he's with now, um, when when she was pregnant, he started to feel how he was feeling during that time. Mm. And he actively went and seeked help and said, Mm -hmm. "Expect a baby. This is what happened last time." Like, and there you go. So, yeah, proactive is 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 really important. So. Yeah, and and that's where I stumbled across Andy's Man Club as well. So I was as soon as I had this bereavement um, when my dad died, rather than just waiting to see what happens, I like accepted that this is a huge change. I need support now rather than when I'm lying on the floor in my pants looking at the ceiling. So got back in touch with the well-being for some sort of bereavement style counselling, and it was offered, and also found Andy's Man Club. To just, I knew I wanted to talk to people, but I knew at that point that it wasn't a like a medical emergency for me. I didn't ne- like need a doctor. I just needed people who understood, who've maybe been through it before, and or just the opportunity for me to talk to people outside of the family. So I wasn't again like they're going through it as well. So yes, there's a time to talk, but I don't want to just unload everything on them because they go through their stuff too. Where external people. My coaching is so brilliant as well. We're outside of the scenario. So you can just say things how they are and, they, and they'll understand without all that prejudgment of knowing you for 30 whatever years. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's where my love of Andy's Man Club come in. And eventually after I got that support that I needed, 
Um, I then went and facilitated and still am a facilitator for them to this day to help other people who come in and need the support too. Amazing. Uh, I'm going to revert back to another podcast as well that I've done. It's good now that I've done quite a few of these. I can um, start to find parallels, yeah. which is really useful. Uh, there's a guy, guy called Connor. Um, he um, is currently in a battle with his, uh, with his ex-partner in regards to, to child um, mm-hmm. care, um, that responsibility. But he is now actively being someone that will speak to men in the same situation. So... He, he says talking is great, but talking to mm. someone with experience or lived experience and someone that can give yeah. you essentially guidance without mm-hmm. at you, without saying, go do this. They sort of say, look, this is what I did. And then you can take those parts and make your own mm-hmm. actual decisions. It's so much more powerful than just unloading and just talking a load of crap to anyone who will listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, let's... Let's talk about Andy's Man Club and what it is that you sort of do sure. now with that. To sort of, yeah. So, um, so Andy's Man Club, they meet up. There's like 120 odd spaces in the UK, um, yeah. And everyone meets up at seven o'clock on a Monday. So, uh, up until like two two weeks time, I've been supporting at the only one in the West Midlands, which is in Stafford currently. Okay. Um, but I'm helping opening up a new one in two weeks' time in Litchfield. So we're looking at opening. We've, we've got enough facilitators and enough interest now to start branching out and opening up other ones because it started up north. Um, yeah. So the majority of the groups are, are up north and you, you get some down south. And then just this area of nothingness in, in the West Midlands and across the Midlands, which is fairly common. <laughs> you know, we're, 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 north, we're northern to southerners and southern to northerners. We're kind of like a yeah. void in the country, eh? Um, and, and people come in and it's so important that it's just, it's just about getting stuff off your chest. And then there's the opportunity in like breaks and things to find people who can offer their experiences. So it's very intentional that it's not here for advice. We're not here to someone to come in and go, Oh yeah, do this, do this, do this. That's, that's not what this is about. They, They need to work that out. Um, but maybe there's a support service they've not heard of before but that someone has used and, and think, actually try this number. Or, you know, people will come in, like such a common one, Some people will come in and say, I'm, on paper, my life is great. You know, I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got a loving wife, loving kids, or whatever it is, but I don't understand why I don't feel all right. And, and they feel like um, ungrateful because they've got the stuff, so why am I still feeling like this? And and they'll say, I'm probably the only person that feels this way. And then people will be like, that's how I was when I first turned up and <laughs> and, and this kind of stuff. So it helps you realise that, in a way, it's sort of fighting against the ego, because the ego wants to say that I have my own problems that are very specific and no one understands, um, where in reality... Yeah, no one's going through exactly what you're going through, but people understand. People have been through similar or, or as near as as it gets. Um, yeah, it's funny when we talked about ego before because it can work in both ways. There can be ego in the I'm so fantastic and I'm the 1%, but then there's the ego in the my problems are worse than everyone else's as well. It's all part of the same yeah. element of the brain um, to, to try and keep in check because you can't get rid of it. So all you can do is notice that when you are doing stuff like that, <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and 
and it's just an opportunity to meet people. It's more as much of a social. People think it's like people sitting in a circle, head in hands. Not at all. In in a very weird way, I tell people that give it a few weeks and you'll weirdly enjoy coming, even though it's talking about people's problems and you know what's what's done my nutting today <laughs> or this week and what what I'm struggling with. You'll weirdly enjoy getting to know people, seeing their journeys and celebrating if there's progress and you know and and just seeing people because people are in tough spots so just the fact that you're seeing them every week is like okay they're still cracking on still still dealing with it um and uh yeah there's there's a huge bit it's a real close-knit community you'll talk about things that you don't talk about to your wife you don't talk about to your parents work colleagues yeah it's it's a special place it's uh yeah needed right i think they're, they're needed places it's um i'm gonna use the ego one more time because i i like this i like this as a as an analogy to be interesting as someone who's uh, part of uh this club and has, has seen a number of people you said that it's not to give advice right do you find that men like to pretend that they've come up with the solution themselves. So even if it's a simple <laughs> like building a piece of furniture without the instructions um, or finding the solution to their uh, bereavement or job loss or whatever it might be, they may have watched a YouTube video, they may have spoken to someone else, but when it comes to showing it, showing it to the world, look what I did. Um, yeah, yeah. In a physical way, yeah, you did it. Um, but... I guess my argument to that one is absolutely nothing you've ever done is completely your decision. Like we're, we're born, we're born not knowing what to do at all about anything apart from breathe and, you know, drink <laughs> and, and pass it through. That's pretty much what we do. So everything that you then go do is down to the influence of your experiences and other people. And all those experiences are other people. So, yeah, I guess the argument is technically nothing you do is you and you alone because you'd have taken your idea off someone somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, but, I, I, I completely yeah. agree. But I still think we're, we're stubborn enough to pretend. Uh, yeah. As, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think it's great for that because it, it allows you to, to have those conversations and, and find it yourself and, and, and do it yourself, which is the most important thing for, in my opinion, for, for, for men. Yeah, it, it's so important to still come up with that decision and, and follow through with it. It is, but you're right. Then we want to sort of take credit for it, but we won't take credit for the uh, the failures, right? That's someone else's fault. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Funny that. <laughs> yeah. To use the golf analogy, it's usually the golf uh, club manufacturer's problem, not uh, not mine Yeah. Uh, these days. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm all for these sort of places. We did, we did a talk ourselves. We did it on redefining masculinity, and mm. we did sit in a circle. And the first bit was a little bit "I'm a man," um, like anonymous mm. type. Um, but it then sort of turned into a more of a an open discussion, which was which was great. I think uh, yeah. for a first time event, I was semi happy with it. But yeah, it's, awesome. I'm glad that um, it's not not like that uh, and his man club is more pressure pressureless than seem to be pressured as, as someone new shall we say 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can turn up and say nothing if you like. It's it's not um not compulsory to even say anything. So um yeah. Amazing. So when does the one open in, in Litchfield? Uh I am down down there not next Monday but the Monday after. So very quickly pop my calendar up. It's uh, the twenty first of August. So it's gonna be I, I believe if you go on Andy's Man Club website anyway, they're going to they've I believe announced it this week of the opening. So that'll be there. But um Litchfield, I, I believe it's the fire you know, like fire stations have like community areas attached to them. It's it's inside there. Because you know, being being quite a busy and fairly expensive estate, real estate wise place, Litchfield, it's quite hard to find um spots that are willing to offer free, you know, room. Because it is a charity at the end of the day. So you are going off the the goodness of people's uh, hearts. So Stafford is done at the rugby club. Uh, they, they've obviously got a big interest in male mental health and and support. So um, you tend you will find people and places that are interested. But that's where the Litchfield one's going to be. And uh, I'm sure I'll be posting up bits and bobs myself uh, on on my own LinkedIn and so on when when we're up and cracking with it. Amazing. And I guess I guess sort of the final final question from me in regards to everything that you do, your own experiences and what you've seen through through Andy's Man Club. What do you feel is is missing for men? What's what's still still missing for men in this space? Well, what a question that is. I think um, just work on redefining what masculinity is and that it can still be celebrated alongside, for example, femininity. Like one doesn't exist without the other. It's all part of the old school yin and yang. Um, so I don't think that it's it should be seen as a negative term, masculinity, but it's it's reframing what it, like, like what you're asking me at the start, it's understanding what it actually is and what does make, you know, you and those around you better off for having those values. Something I learned, I recently listened um, to, uh, I, I listened to Diary of a CEO, I'm sure a lot of people do, and there was a recent one around hormones. It was to do with fasting, but hormones and, and the difference between men and women. And it just hi really highlights that, okay, there's a lot of similarities between us, but there's also things that that are just different in, in the way that we work and the way that the hormones are released around our system and the impact that they have. So, how can you use that to support everyone um, rather than just assuming we treat everyone the same? Where it's nice to see that that's kind of the way things are going anyway. Uh, but it, it needs a push. And and I think also to get rid of the taboo on people that do take their own lives. Um, from There are people, and of course, being in the nature of, of Annie's Man Club, there are people that used to go and aren't here anymore. Like, it, it does happen. It's not a golden ticket for everybody you know um but come to appreciate and not not feel negative to that person even though it hurts because you knew them um but it's a decision that they thought was the best decision to make at the time you might not agree with it but you can still um respect that the situation they were in and that was their call and then you'll do whatever you can to try and support people to prevent that from you know from happening to someone else so um, I, I think a, a bit of a bit of I don't know compassion 
I think is needed around that world. Awesome. You hear the word sel selfish a lot, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is, man. Yeah, it's um, the more I dig into it, the more the more I understand it, and the more it sort of moves away from from mental health. And mm -hmm. as you just as you've described your own situation, it, it seems to be geared more towards a logical solution to an overfilling cup, um, which yeah. however, however you got there was, is, is probably the bit in the middle that's missing. Right. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, the end result is the end result and that needs to be, uh, respected essentially and not, not ashamed or, or shamed. I, I, yeah, I do agree with the, with mm -hmm. the more, more that I read on this topic. Um, well, yes, Warwick, you're right. It's just, it was a tough one to start and a tough one to end. But um, if you uh, want to tell people where you are and how to find you, if they were interested in anything or everything yeah. that you said. I'm very easy to get hold of because there's only one platform I use. It's something I try and help other people to prevent burnout. LinkedIn is pretty much the only place that I'll have open conversations, you know, when I'm not in person. So uh, Warwick Hegarty, uh, there's only one Warwick Hegarty, I believe, on LinkedIn. So that does help in, in, in my own branding in a way. Um, yeah, so W-A-R-R-I-C-K-H-E-G-A-R-T-Y. And another time I'll explain to you that that's not even my uh, birth name or whatever the equivalent of maiden name is for a man. But that's how you'll find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Genuinely appreciate it. Really, really interesting insight. Really interesting for me personally as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, I've had a great time. Uh, thanks for the conversation, Luz. Amazing.